0: Yeah, 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 <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Hey,
2: <laughs> Great start. Uh,
0: Welcome to the Sibling Referee Podcast. My name is Andrew Merriweather.
2: And I'm Caitlin Perlman.
0: And we are siblings. Yeah, we're yeah.
2: also roommates. And also best friends. And also um, co-conspirators. Right. And I mention that just because... If I ever do anything illegal, it's on you and it's on the record. So Just I thought, thought we weren't going to talk about I thought we weren't going to talk
0: about the pineapple Ponzi scheme that we've been working on for the last 3 months.
2: Well, I wasn't going to talk about that, but I guess you well, brought it up, so
0: Pineapple's out of the bag now. <laughs> All right. Well, so welcome to episode number two. Um, So this week, Caitlin is going to be bringing in the topic. Just as a refresher for those of you who maybe haven't listened to the first episode, every week, uh, one of us will bring in a topic that the other has no idea what it's going to be. uh, And we will then discuss that topic at length. It's going to be a spontaneous, off-the-cuff conversation uh, with some little fun uh, segments in between.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my topic this week is awesome. But before we get into it, we do have to discuss and name for ourselves who we're speaking for this week. Of course. Every week we speak for a different demographic that we represent, but it's always a little bit different. So um, this week, I'm going to be speaking uh, for all cisgendered uh, straight women who hate playing team sports and who love dancing to Top 40 Radio.
0: Mm. That's solid. Yeah. Solid. You're not a team player at all.
2: I'm not a a team player. Hate
0: teams. (laughs) Hate
2: teams. Team sports. I like watching team sports, and I like playing team sports.
0: You spell team with an I. (laughs) Every
2: time. Every time. (laughs) That's why it spells time instead of team.
0: It's amazing that you got into (laughs) such a good college. (laughs) Okay. Well, so I'm going to be speaking for uh, all five foot, seven and a half uh, males who are also um, stunningly handsome, who are also... (laughs) You're laughing as if.
1: (laughs) Uh,
2: Keep going.
0: Uh, (laughs) Um, Who also um, really love uh, hot light bling, by Drake, even though he, even though I hated Drake before.
2: That song's pretty dope.
0: That song is very dope.
2: Also, I have to mention the extra half inch is clearly really important in your height. <laughs> I'm glad that you made when you sure. When
0: to... you, only, you only got
2: 5'7, <laughs> it matters. It really matters. <laughs> Are you ready for this topic? I'm ready. All right. Um, well,. This topic it may not surprise you because if anyone knows me at all, they know that I am a big lover of food. Mm. So this is a food-related topic, and here it is. How do you measure or can you measure the authenticity of any ethnic cuisine?
0: This is a, this is a big topic. It's hard to know where to dive in first. Mexican food is one that comes to mind mm-hmm. immediately. That's a huge
2: one. Well, actually, that's the reason I picked this is because of a particular experience I had a few years ago when I was I was living in North Carolina um, again at the time and working retail and a woman came into the store who was shopping around and I was me and my boss in the store and she was from California and they my boss was also from California so they got to talking about just living in that air in that state and in a, in a particular area that they were from and they got on this topic of authentic Mexican food and how it was so hard to find authentic Mexican food in the area that we live in North Carolina and um we're all these white people sitting in this very like high end clothing boutique like talking about this and and my and I kind of stayed out of it but my feeling was like really uh, well, you know, you want to walk down the street to the to our favorite Mexican place and and poke your head into the kitchen and tell them that they're not authentic enough for you. Is that really what you?
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a there's a there's definitely a moral question involved in this, where it's like if you are somebody who's like, you know, a multi generation American, European American specifically, um, like where do you get the authority to claim a? something is authentic or inauthentic um from another culture yeah um you got to have like a lot of a lot of gall a lot of gumption to like make that claim Mm -hmm. um about uh, especially about a a, a non-european uh like uh cuisine so i mean so the the thing that comes to my mind when i think about authenticity at restaurants right when i think about something when i would consider something is more authentic right so um I don't know if we can, we'll we get in trouble for mentioning brands here. But, like, so if we compared something that's, like, P.F. Chang's, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like, sort of, like, very, like, chain Chinese restaurant all over the U.S. And you compare that with some, like, hole-in-the-wall Chinese spot um, or, like, Vietnamese spot or Thai spot or whatever. When you go into a hole-in-the-wall place and, you know, you see, like, maybe some Vietnamese people also eating at this Vietnamese place, Mm -hmm. and you're looking at what they're eating, and then you're looking at the menu, and you're like, I don't think I can find, like, what it is that those people are eating on this menu that I'm looking at. That, to me, is, like, the first sign that something or that the food being served at that restaurant is authentic.
2: Well, I think that's a really great point. And if you um, you eat a lot of... Asian food, especially. I mean, this has been my experience specifically with Asian food, but I'm sure it's true of other kinds of ethnic food too. Um, there's there's one Chinese restaurant in particular that I have in mind in Chapel Hill, where you can go and order off the sort of regular menu, or you can ask for the Chinese menu, and they have separate Chinese menus um, that they have both the Chinese um, names and the, it, it written sort of in, in English translation. But it's always, you know, much just much more interesting sort of cuisine and I have no idea if it's like if I went to China from the area that these people are from if that's like okay that's the part of China and then the, oh yeah I could get something very similar to this I have no idea but it's always there's always a lot more fish um the just the flavor differences you know you just don't get your basic general sows and uh you know Poonan chicken and Kung Pao chicken. And...
0: Here's a question. Was General So a real person? That's the first thing <laughs> I want to know. And also, how was he able to get access to so much battered, sweetened sour chicken? <laughs> Which presumably was very hard to make at the point and that... And a he...
2: lot of sugar goes into that sauce. Right.
0: So, so much sugar. right? So Deep
2: fried <laughs> chicken smothered in sugary, sugary sauce. Delicious. And some spice. But yes, I think that's a great point that... Um, this question of can I walk into this restaurant uh, and say to the waiter, do you have a a menu, an alternative menu for people who are maybe looking for something quote unquote more authentic? Andrew, yeah, I feel a need to kind of pause the conversation and maybe take some time to absorb some wisdom from outside our little two-person mm, bubble.
0: Yes, please. Um,
2: we happen to have a person in our lives who can dispense incredible wisdom to us.
0: Oh, the one and only. Fred Good. Yes.
2: Um, we love to talk to Fred. Um, you will have heard his wonderful outlook on online dating from our last episode, but we have been asking him more questions about more things, and this week we decided to ask him about the 1960s, which he lived through. So we don't know anything about that because we didn't live through it. But we wanted to hear his take.
1: Uh, The 1960s are the most misinterpreted period in history. How people, how I hear people talk about the 60s is so much not what I experienced, and yet I know perfectly well that I was in the middle of all of it, I and mean, that Lower East Side and, and Haight-Ashbury were the two sit, sort of centers. And um, I, I think that what, what the common perception of Haight-Ashbury Ash- is, is that, oh, hippies, you know. You, um, so I think the first thing to say about the 60s is, is that it... it after the for Second World War, um, there was this period of kind of real prosperity and hope and whatever. And um, by the time the '60s came around, people were really getting disillusioned, and we came to realize that there was a third of Americans were under the poverty line. And um, so, really, with I, I think the for people who were young and intellectual, and we're reading um, existentialist philosophers, um, we really decided to get very involved, and I think that the, the the ones who got involved in politics, like Abby Hoffman and company, really um, are part of the reason that the history is so distorted, because I think um, there were a lot more people who were who were not particularly political about what they were doing, and um, were creating some very, very innovative stuff. Um, for example, on the lower East side, we we were we were putting solar panels on top of buildings. We were creating cooperatives. Um, we were doing things that that ultimately became completely suppressed, and and really there was. Virtually nobody knows about um, that period in America. And I think part of the reputation that was cre- created was that there was a bunch of drug addicts and um, crazy young people who, who, who were into drugs and free everything. It's just not, it's not really the, 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 the case. <laughs>
0: Well, so do you what when you when the general population says, or when this woman that you that you met you know said, "Where's the authentic Mexican food in Chapel Hill?" What do you think she was re- referring to? What what do you think she meant by by that?
2: Well, part of my struggle with it was I didn't really understand. She wasn't even saying where's the where. I mean, she wasn't even asking the question. Where is it? She was saying she couldn't find that it didn't she couldn't exist. Find authentic she was saying it's just frustrating because when I was in San Diego, you know, you just had this great authentic Mexican food and you just can't find it around here. That's that that was the that was the way she said it. It wasn't, hey, I haven't been able to find this. Do you know of a place?
0: Well, and I gotta admit, like, Californians love talking about how good the Mexican food is. <laughs> like literally every Californian that I meet, it doesn't matter where they are. I feel like California could be in Mexico. <laughs> And say, I can't find any good authentic Mexican food. Like, yeah, it's a little. <laughs> also, for the record, there's a huge Hispanic population in the triangle area, yeah,
2: where we live there in at- North
0: Carolina in general.
2: I mean, the past decade, one to two decades, the population has boomed significantly, noticeably, significantly. Um, and that has had you know, that has had effects felt across all different aspects of the culture of our area. Um, but just more ubiquitous Mexican food kind of places are is one result of that. And as an example, I mean, you know, people might say, well, every, every town has a, has a Mexican restaurant. And that's true. Maybe. But I'll tell you, I was living in this tiny town in Pennsylvania for a year. And there was some really, really good Italian food um, and there was actually a decent Indian restaurant, uh, but the Mexican food was, was terrible. And it's not, I'm not saying it was inauthentic. It was just not good. And there was one, there was one Mexican place. And then there was like a sort of mission style burrito, like a la Chipotle, like rap kind of place, um, that just make like could make you a burrito, but it could make you a burrito that didn't really resemble a burrito, um, and that was that was those were the options. And so I just didn't eat Mexican food for like a year.
0: I, I my my question is is one when people say I can't find any authentic Mexican food, is what they're really saying I can't find any good Mexican food. Yeah. Um, and then that raises a second question for me, which is, is there actually anything? valuable about finding authentic ethnic cuisine? Is mm-hmm. that something that we ought to care about? Um, and if it is, then, like, we kind of, like, want to – it seems like we want to a, give a definition for what that is. And I think that's, that gets really tricky.
2: Yeah. Well, and that – and so, so for me, my reaction – actually, it's funny that I said the thing about – I'm not saying it's inauthentic, but it wasn't good. Because actually, I do equate authentic with good. It's not I'm not saying that all good ethnic food has to be authentic, but I think if it is authentic, it's implied that it's good. Because there's a way in which it's like, well, if it's authentic, then it's rooted in some kind of tradition that has been passed down through generations and and techniques have been developed and flavor flavor profiles and things have been developed to the point where it it tastes good because that's it's traditionally it's designed to taste good.
0: But here's so So here's my question about that, though, because like, so what if you're just a bad cook, right? (laughs) Okay, so like
2: you probably shouldn't own a restaurant, but
0: right, so like, yeah, right, you shouldn't own a restaurant, (laughs) but like, even if you just went into somebody's, like, let's say you went to, um, let's say you went to Spain or you went to or you went to Italy, okay, and you're and you you stayed with a family there, Uh and it seems it seems as if like you couldn't get more authentic cuisine than that. Right. Right. But that uh, so then they make you some like some traditional Italian dish. Right. Um, Like, let's say they make you some traditional uh, chicken Italian dish. And it's terrible. It tastes terribly like like just a horrible dish. Did you eat authentic Italian food?
2: (laughs) It's a great question.
0: I want to say, yeah, you did. (laughs) But it was just bad.
2: It was poorly, poorly made, (laughs) poorly made. Um, because you were eating, because an Italian actually cooked it for you, but they did not cook it for you. They did well. not cook
0: it well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's a good point. And actually, you know, we've been to Italy too. I've, I've been to, I've been to Italy multiple times and I had bad pizza in Italy. There was a time, I feel like we were out, we were kind of out in the, up in the Alps when we went to a pizza place and it was just not good. Um, The sauce wasn't good. It was very... Like, the way they cooked the meat on it was very, very greasy. It was just not good pizza. And that's just... That's just wrong. (laughs) It's like, I'm in Italy right now, people.
0: Was it authentic pizza, though?
2: I guess. (laughs) I mean, some Italians made it.
0: So I think it basically... I I mean, I think we're pushing on this issue of, like... And, like, kind of dancing around it because we don't really have a good answer. Right. What is authenticity in food? I mean, like... uh, uh, I don't know. All right, Caitlin, I think it's time to take a little break and take a little detour towards our elaborated pop lyric guessing yes, game. You love ready? This game, love yeah. This game. All right. So, just as a quick explanation for those of you who haven't uh, participated in the game before, Caitlin and I have chosen a pop song that we find dear in our hearts, uh, and we have elaborated the pop lyric. Uh, different lyrics from the song uh, to make them a little bit more silly and complicated. uh,
2: Intellectualized, if you will.
0: Intellectualized to the point that is unnecessary. Yes. uh, And is... uh, superfluous wording. Verbose. It's quite (laughs) verbose. And it is up to you, the listener, to uh, try to figure out what song we're talking about and maybe what the actual lines are. So just as a little reveal for last week... Um, for those of you who took a guess at it, uh, it was "Shake It Off" by Taylor Swift. Yes, it was. I think we started off pretty easy. Yeah, we on get, that we one. Get, we
2: threw you a softball for for episode one. I'll uh, say.
0: But this one goes a little bit farther back. A little bit farther back. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of a throwback so, song. But we still think it, I, it it's very guessable. I would uh-huh. say. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. So am I gonna lead us off? Yeah. With the do first the lyric? first lyric. All do right. it. And
2: remember, so, this is no in no particular order. Right. Yes. So it could, could be, be at any point in the song. Exactly. All right.
0: All right. So for the first lyric, I am so outstanding in my field that others in my profession cover my daily expenses out of respect. Nice. Yeah.
2: Well said. (laughs) All right. You ready for mine? Oh, yeah. Round two. All right. Second lyric. The technical prowess of my vehicle is such that I can accelerate from zero miles per hour to 100 miles per hour, in so short a time that it would shock you.
0: You can do that in your Toyota Corolla?
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Tiny, (laughs) tiny engine. Just boom. Especially when I have four other people in the car, then it just really cooks. Sounds like
0: like, an RC car.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like... actually all right you ready yeah. <laughs> you ready for lyric the third number three, now yeah.
0: that we've made fun of your car enough? yeah thanks right. jerk who doesn't have a car right now true and <laughs> yeah, my car got hit by a deer everybody
2: <laughs> congratulations Watch to out. Andrew <laughs> all right
0: all right so for the third and final lyric this is a long one the w- woman with whom I am romantically involved frequently uses my cellular device there is a concern that she while perusing my photographs will accidentally come across people, places, and events for which she is unprepared and which may dismay her. <laughs> it's like a whole novel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that might be my favorite, though.
0: That we've done so far. Yes. That's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty good. I agree. All right, so if you think you know what song we are talking about, uh, you can send us an email uh, or tweet at us. All right, so I think we're ready to get back to authenticity and food. I agree. I agree. I wonder if part of the desire we have to find, quote-unquote, authentic food has something to do with sort of an obsession that I think a lot of people have with finding truth, mm-hmm. right, that which, like, the food that is authentic, right, and and not feeling all that comfortable or satisfied with the idea that authenticity is this very, like, opaque like, hard thing to pin down and, like, whether food is more or less authentic is, like, sort of eludes definition. What I wonder is that if maybe what we really want, though, at the end of the day, is for that food to have a story in some way, that there's mm-hmm. something that can be said about the food that's being made uh, in a way that other food can't, right? So when I think about, to go back to, like, the, the, the P.F. Chang's example, right? Like, the people making the P.F. Chang's food, right, Who are, whoever's cooking it up, probably doesn't know anything about, like, the history of any of the food that they're creating or, like, um, can't really tell a story about how they came to make the dishes that they're making um whereas a family owned restaurant even when they're serving more americanized cuisine right or they're serving cuisine that is non traditional right they can show they can talk about where that food is coming from mm-hmm. in some sort of important way right like that this is sort of rooted in tr- some traditions right um but also that they can talk about why they are changing it in a particular type of way, right? In order to make it better, right, or or mm-hmm. more interesting, or to push the cuisine forward.
2: I agree. When I think to t- sort of tag on to that, that the, that the ability to push forward, I mean, part of that is is that is a, is a need to adapt. So somebody coming from an area of Mexico and then moving to North Carolina, things are just going to be different than than they were where they lived before. And so the people eating in the restaurants are going to be different and their their desires for the kind of food, their tastes are gonna be different. So I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. In fact, I think there's something admirable about taking those those traditional techniques and, and moving them forward and adapting them to suit the place that they are now. Um, not everybody can go to Mexico and travel and try mole in Oaxaca, um, but my intuition about it is to say, well, if what you really really want is try is to try Oaxacan mole that you know is going to be Oax- like you could say that I tried it. you can't try it in a restaurant in the United States. You have to go there and see and and taste it for yourself there in that in that place. So you can meet? you so can you measure the authenticity of ethnic cuisine and if so, how? Oh,
0: man, I don't know I, I I mean I think it's just. Authenticity, in the way that I think a lot of the time I hear it being used, and the way that I find myself using it, I think is is probably not not the best way to think about it. But if what we're talking about is someone being able to talk passionately about the food that they're making, um, and talk about where that food comes from, whether that be tradition, um, their own influences, um, you know, their own upbringing. Right and how they came to be preparing this dish that they're that they're giving to you today, um, then I think then that's that seems like a, a type of authenticity that's worthwhile. Whether you can measure that, I don't really think so. But I think you can kind of it's this sort of like you kind of know it when you see it um, type of thing, which is not that satisfying, I know, but I I think it's it's the best we can do with authenticity.
2: All right, fair enough. Well, for me, I mean. The word as you were talking, the word passion really stuck out to me because I do think that there's there is passion is an important element in this whole conversation. People who are passionate about the food in terms of eating it and also in cooking it. So I think a person who if we might be able to expand our definition of cooking ethnic cuisine authentically to include people who are passionate about those traditions. That, that ethnic cuisine is grounded in, and then also, while simultaneously having the the freedom to to push it forward, and continue to press it, and that the the the, the passion is is what makes it in a sense is what makes it authentic because um, they are they are being authentic in their in their drive to to get it right and get it get it right in the sense that it's delicious, that it's well made, that it's high quality.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, right. I, will, and I, I would also say we know the best barbecue places. In <laughs> we do. And the most authentic. <laughs> You've been listening to the dispatch of the Sibling Revelry podcast. If you want to hear more of this conversation, you can download the radio cut of this episode. If you want to join the conversation, please feel free to email us at siblingrevelrypodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at sibling underscore revelry.
2: This episode was produced and edited by Andrew Merriweather. Our music is by Fleming You can find more of his work at com. A special thanks to Fred Good for his wisdom this week. Thanks for listening.